the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jennifer Horn is funny, smart, and beautiful. And then there's Brian, who's, um, well, anyway, this is the morning answer. Thanks for joining us. It is Election Eve Monday on your morning answer. We are starting off the 2020 election week with a smile. Brian Whitman, Jennifer Horn, and the road to 270 is in focus. Candidates deciding how they can get there. And they have, and their campaign staffers and the brainiacs and the campaign headquarters have been pondering that very number, 270-270 electoral votes. That's what you need to be president of the United States. Up for grabs tomorrow is 538 electoral votes. Uh, if that has changed, it's just one other thing that changes here, but it's 538. It's, it's the number of congressional representatives in America, which is 435, plus the 100 senators, 535, plus the three, I believe, for Puerto Rico. I believe that's what that is. So, so we get to 538. Am I right about that? Are my civics? They taught me civics. Yes. Okay, so 530, you have to get 270 to win. Now, we have had, look at the result uh, when, when George... H.W., excuse me, when George Walker Bush, George W. Bush, our former two-term president, defeated Al Gore in 2000, I mean, I think he had 271 electoral votes. Elections can be this close. That one came down to 537 votes in the state of Florida that had a great deal of difficulty divining, determining what the voters' intent was. And these became legal arguments that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Now, we have a story this morning, uh, Jennifer, uh, about the magic number 270 and about the intention of the voter and about the security of the vote. President Donald Trump is quoted today by NBC News as telling reporters about his lawyers saying he'll send them in as soon as the election ends to review swing state votes. The quote from the president, we're going to go in night of. As soon as that election is over, we're going in with our lawyers. Uh, his his comments on the legitimacy of the vote or, or, or the desire at least to check if it's legitimate. I'm I'm not reading verbatim because I want to tell you the story the way I think is most honest. Uh, it, it's ahead of this week's unprecedented vote count. I believe it's obvious we have more living Americans voting in this particular election 2020 than we've ever had before. Probably a few dead ones, thanks to California's universal mail-in vote. And a lot of really young ones, too. Have you noticed that that story about young people, people who maybe they were too young in 2016 and were not 18 and could not vote and did not, or were over the age but had apathy and didn't particularly care. Now they care. Now they're voting in very high numbers, according to some of the elections officials in the various states that are receiving these mail-in ballots or absentee ballots or seeing the early voting, as, as you did this weekend, Jen. Yeah, I went out on Sunday and did in-person early voting and uh, got that checked off my list. I felt good at doing it. It was a very easy process. But certainly uh, how the candidates get to 270 is the question. And just what they're going to do to try to cross that finish line is, is certainly subject to a lot of scrutiny. 
there are some choices being made. And you mentioned those attorneys, President Trump's attorneys will not be lonely in Pennsylvania and in Florida and in Michigan and Wisconsin because they'll be surrounded by Joe Biden's attorneys who will also be there doing a lot of poll watching, a lot of counting or watching of the counting to make sure that everything seems to be in line with the rules of that state. Today, President Trump is en route to North Carolina. He's supposed to be in Fayetteville in just a matter of moments. He'll uh, be there speaking to a crowd in a very important state, not only for the presidency, but certainly for the Senate. North Carolina is one of those states that could determine balance of power in the Senate. That race there with Cal Cunningham and Tom Tillis is a close one. Cal Cunningham was up by four points in the state, but he just had kind of a a sex scandal. A couple of mistresses just came out. It'll be interesting to see if that makes the vote change at all. He'll also be, President Trump, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Traverse City, Michigan, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and Grand Rapids, Michigan. The former vice president not doing as much travel Traveling today, he will make his closing arguments in Ohio and in Pennsylvania, and then he will be home, and that'll be it for the campaign trail of Joe Biden. We'll see if that strategy pays off. He has been far less active than President Trump. And just a note of something kind of interesting, President Trump will finish his 2020 campaign in the same way he finished 2016, and that'll be with the folks in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's where he ended his his 2016 oh, campaign. He'll do it okay. again tonight. Uh, interesting. As for the 270 and the road to get there, this is an article this morning from the, rather it was printed yesterday on Sunday, the road to 270 to the presidency. And their assessment is, and I'll just share it with you, this from the Associated Press. President Donald Trump and Democratic challenger Joe Biden each has a path to 270 electoral votes needed to win the White House. Biden's is appreciably wider. The former vice president is competitive, according to the AP, as I read it verbatim, in all the battleground states Trump carried in 2016 and has put a handful of traditional Republican states, including Georgia and Arizona, in play. That has Trump scrambling to defend a wide swath of territory and putting the incumbent's hopes for re-election on two of the most populous swing states they are florida and pennsylvania yeah 100 percent. and i can tell you that pennsylvania i think is going to be because of some of their new election rules there is going to be a lot of counting and a lot of recounting in pennsylvania the error of i mean the the polls the they're really within the error of margin if you look at real clear politics i think biden's up by about four points over president trump on average and that number has been tightening which is why you see president trump spending so much time there trying to close the deal he He's the one that delivered Pennsylvania for Republicans in 2016 for the first time in a long time. But the way that I would watch this is keep an eye on Florida. Florida will be one of the states that we'll know earliest in the evening here in California just how things are going. Because six, Just after 6 o'clock, we start to get those 6 p.m. our time in L.A. I believe the uh, Florida polls close at 9 Eastern. President Trump cannot win. Unless there is something catastrophic. And I'm going to say that just because it's 2020. You just don't know. Well, why not? But in normal it's- times, President Trump would not be able to win this election without Florida. So if you see Florida going in one direction or another, wow. um, that's going to be very – it'll be indicative as to whether or not President Trump has a chance at reelection. It really does start in Florida, and it will finish in Pennsylvania. And, and both states, I believe – I know they're in the same time zone. I grew up on the East Coast. They both, I believe, close their polls at the same time. So having having said that, as much as we have talked about, and I'm not, I, I am, right now in this role, I'm not offering a whole lot of my opinion, just kind of information about the election, et cetera, and, and some of the analysis here. 
for all the talk about not knowing who would win, and that still might be the case with legal challenges. However, if by 7, 7 p.m. tomorrow night, Southern California times, you're hearing AM 870, AM 590 in the IE. And if you've heard that Florida and Pennsylvania are maybe both too close to call, if you've heard that one has gone for Biden, it has been called, or if they're not, heaven, if Trump does not win both of them and they they're on the same time zone. It could be an early night, which is contrary to what we've been all thinking right. about, that we might go weeks without knowing who The won. reason Pennsylvania, and again, it would matter. So once Florida is determined, and I think that'll be easier because they haven't had any major shifts to their voting laws. They've always had mail-in. That's been a thing for them. So they haven't had any major COVID shifts to the way they vote in Florida. So I think Florida will probably be pretty solid in being able to report a result. That way you'll know if there's a continuing path for President Trump to go down. The problem and the reason so many people are watching Pennsylvania, yes, it's going to be close. It was in 2016. But the reason that people are watching it so much is that they're going to continue to count votes for three days after the election. That's why so many pundits are saying that they may not have a winner for you on election night. It's because the vote may just not be counted until three days after election day. So they're going to have to look at how many votes they have in hand and what that looks like in comparison to the population of the state. That's the one unanswered question. We'll continue to uh, go through some of these possible pathways, plus a new clue in the benefactor of that 405 Trump sign. Remember that? That? Yes. Ooh, Look like the Hollywood sign. We've got a tip, a hot tip for you as your Monday morning answer continues. The morning answer with Brian Whitman and Jennifer Horn. Jen is the conservative crusader. Brian is our lovable liberal. Welcome to the answer. Thanks for joining us. Monday on your morning answer. It is election week. Tomorrow is the day. And you have some big decisions ahead of you. If you haven't already voted, I want you to get out those ballots. I want you to look down under your congressperson. And you may see, if you live in the 33rd Congressional District, Brian, you may see a guy named Ted Lieu. And then you may see a guy named James Bradley. Yay! And James Bradley joins us right now. He is the Republican candidate for California's 33rd. He's the Republican. Congressional district. You got that? And he joins us right now. Hi, James. Hello, Jennifer. How are you, young lady? I am doing just fine. And thanks for being with us today. We know it's a busy time. You're making that final push to get people to go in and vote. Tell us why you are running against Ted Lieu, because Ted Lieu is one of those name brands like Adam Schiff and Maxine Waters in California. And to his credit, made the name brand pretty quickly, actually, with his anti-Trump stuff. That's true. And tell us what, what he's not doing that you think you can do better for your congressional district, for your constituents. Can we say the homeless crisis, which yeah. we've chosen to ignore for the last, uh, let's see, at least uh, four years that I'm aware of. So I've been uh, boots on the ground, digging into the issues, found out that uh, to lose behind some of this stuff that's been driving our, our disabled veterans off the VA land. And I've uh, exposed it in several press releases, but unfortunately it's being censored. Wait, and uh, Brian, but, uh, I know you have a question here, but I don't want to glaze over this because... I don't want to either. Yeah, James, you have, you've actually really done a lot of work here. So just tell people who are not familiar with this situation, there are veterans who are camping out, literally, on ground that was given to uh, the veteran, the VA, and uh, Ted Lieu is actually driving those people from that land. In doing that, he's adding to uh, the homeless population, and he's doing it on the back of our veterans, Right. That's correct. We have approximately 4,500 veterans on the street that uh, used to be housed uh, well over there. Have housing units there that will uh, house 5,000 veterans. 
uh, over the last 15 years, and I can't say that Ted Lieu was part of the initial drive out, but they're using these buildings uh, for land leases. UCLA's there. Uh, we have the Brentwood School and this other few few commercial. Uh, these are already been deemed illegal land uses. But unfortunately, uh, Ted Lowe is part of the problem. And, of course, a few other names like Diane Feinstein, uh, uh, also uh, her husband, and Mayor Garcetti. This so is the crimes. James Bradley is a Republican candidate for Congress on Tuesday. His name's on the ballot in California, District 33. Real quickly, uh, James, if you can, rattle off two or three communities so that folks hearing the morning answer will know that you are the James Bradley on the ballot in their neighborhood, your 33rd district, uh, the areas uh, uh, that it comprises. Just a few. Just a few. Okay, good. Well, it starts north. It's, uh, let's see, Agora, and it goes down into Malibu. Uh, We are into Beverly Hills. Uh, Ranch, let's see, uh, Pacific Palisades, Santa Monica, Venice, all the way down to Rancho uh, uh, Palos Verdes. So it, it's technically the Silicon Beach of uh, Los Angeles. <laughs> it's a lot of people. That's a lot wide-reaching geographically. So uh, James Bradley, who, by the way, uh, 30 years in the healthcare sector, modernizing, improving medical systems. This is someone who has a master's in finance, comes from, from private uh, business, and is running for Congress again in the 3030s, a Republican candidate against Ted Lieu. Question. You mentioned homelessness, and you're right. In terms of the veterans, uh, there is something you can do. Hold a federal office, which, uh, as obviously you know, representative in Congress is a federal office with responsibility and obligations to the people that elect them in the district. However, on what issues would you as a congressman have authority purview as a federal office holder to deal with that voters in your district are concerned about? Because homelessness, the wide swath of it, is a municipal issue, as I know you know that, a state issue, as I know you know that. So let voters know where, what the issues are that you actually can go after and, and, and what your priorities are from that group. Well, number one, obviously, is the the homeless issue, and uh, we could take federal funds and put it directly into community-based systems and solutions. So we're going to bypass the city, local, and uh, municipalities, going directly to those that have been very effective over the, the past five, ten years now. So uh, bypassing the uh, middleman, if you will, I believe in less government. The other issues we're looking at is the business flight. Uh, we've seen through uh, the pandemic crisis as well as the increased taxation where a lot of the small businesses have been fleeing, including the middle class. So there are some, uh, I like those opportunity zone concept. We're going to look at some federal land. We can repurpose that and create incubators for small entrepreneurs. I'm all about promoting. We are the most affluent district of all of the United States, and we should be acting accordingly and forgetting about partisanship and really addressing issues, and that's where all my focus is. James Bradley is our guest. He is running for Congress in California's 33rd District against Ted Lieu. You can follow him on Twitter at Bradley Congress. You can look him up online at BradleyCongress.com. James, because of your history and uh, your work in the medical field, I'm going to ask you this question about health care because as a Republican who is excited to go and vote for red candidates this time around, one of the things I think Republicans have failed on is an effort to, to articulate what they want to repeal and replace Obamacare with. As someone who has a history in the medical industry, if you go to Congress, what would be your suggestion to Republicans as to how to address health care, which is one of the most important issues to voters? 
Well, we can't think of the past. We look forward with this really great uh, therapeutics that I think we can blend into the new healthcare package that I'm going to be presenting in the first uh, 60 within the first six months in office. Uh, we're going to tear it apart, use the best breed concepts. We're also in, include into that holistic as well as alter, alternative healthcare. So those uh, practitioners on that side of the business will actually have a good voice in that. Conventional medicine, I'm going to do a, what we've seen now, the increase in premiums is a redundancy. So I dig in deep. I look at the actual numbers, actuarial numbers, and we're going to look at the fraud, waste, and abuse. I'm hoping that we can cut the premium dollar at least 50%. So it could not only be affordable, we're going to also increase our benefit packages. So that I think it's a relatively new concept to the Republican Party, but having that background, I think I could speak to it. James, my last question for you. I'll let Jennifer have last licks with James Bradley, who's running for Congress <laughs> in District 33. He is a Republican, and I've called you James, Mr. Bradley. I, uh, yeah, maybe well, Jim, I'll call you Jim. It's, mm-hmm. Thank you for coming on. Important question. You're running against a, a almost nationally known congressional representative, and that is Ted Lieu, the Democrat who holds the seat. You're trying to vote him out. You're trying to replace him, and the voters would vote Ted Lieu out. Question about President Donald Trump, who is at the focal point and the vortex of this election day tomorrow as he seeks re-election. Ted Lieu is clear. He thinks the leadership of President Donald Trump is a disaster. Do you think the leadership of President Donald Trump is excellent? I would say we're all um, mired with issues. And under the last four years, he's been subjected to a peach resist. Uh, based upon that and constant resistance, he's done a fairly good job. Now, let me see who I speak to. I speak to the constituents, we the people. Uh, and I'll go up against uh, President uh, Trump. And re- I always say remove the name. Just look at the, the office. Has he done a good job? He has done a good job. However, if he, he crosses the line, of course, I'll be the first one to speak out against him. But from my perspective, he's done a fairly good job, and uh, he deserves the support. James. Mr. Bradley, thank you. For that. James Bradley is an honest guy. He has a lot of integrity. He was did really well in that Senate race against Dianne Feinstein. He is going to do well again. Uh, give him a look online. If you are still making your decision, Congressional District 33, James Bradley on the ballot at Bradley Congress on Twitter. Check him out online, BradleyCongress.com. James, good luck to you. We'll talk to you after Election Day. Excellent. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you so much tomorrow sir see Best he's another here. republican you would like i'm telling you Whitman. yeah i, I like him it. already you know. <laughs> we've talked to him once before absolutely we, yeah all right have uh, election wow do you have election stress because this is oh. a new phenomenon we're going to help you lose it as your monday morning answer <laughs> continues why can't conservatives and liberals just get along they can welcome to the morning answer with brian whitman and jennifer horn thanks for joining us it's Monday. It's Election Eve. We are kicking off Election Week. Brian Whitman, Jennifer Horn, we are so grateful to all of you for sticking it out with us. This has been a crazy year, and uh, we and love it staying ain't connected. Over. Yeah, it's not over yet. In and fact, it ain't over. it's about to get a whole lot crazier because uh, we will know or start to get an idea tomorrow evening and just what will happen and what the outcome will be to the 2020 presidential election. I want to remind you to stay connected here. 6 p.m. is when our coverage starts. Larry Marino, Jennifer Horn, Larry Elder. We're getting Whitman to call in, by the way. Oh, we'll they be didn't here. invite me. I will boycott. I'll be we home. Will- be here till midnight. Oh, you will? I'll come by. You I have mean, to. I'll be, I mean, I'll make them order pizza or something like that. <laughs> well, you're nice. There was a time they would ask me to come in late. They'd have pizza galore. It was like Pizza Ahoy. 
And I, on the way in, they say, "What do you have planned for the show?" I'd say, "Meatballs, green peppers." <laughs> and, okay, maybe that but, was the problem. <laughs> that might be. That could have been it. <laughs> Whitman, oh, he's here for the pizza. <laughs> uh, the, the show, I guess he's. I this guess he it. pulls it off. But Whitman, whatever. are you ready to call Pennsylvania? I'm ready to out a call. I said thirty minutes or less. I'll do a projection, <laughs> or your, or your, or the show is free for you, the management time. Here's now. Speaking of Pennsylvania, if you are watching the election closely, or if you're not watching the election closely, we have a fact that I think is is helpful to people who want this information. There are two states, and uh, they. Both are on the East Coast, and they both close their in-person polls tomorrow night at the same time. And they are both states that President Trump and his campaign, they are relying, President Trump is relying on winning both of these states uh, because it is critical, and I do mean critical, underline it, to his path to 270 electoral votes and winning re-election as our president tomorrow night. Those two states are the aforementioned state of Pennsylvania and the state of Florida. Now, I, I did uh, I, I incorrectly said last hour that at 6 p.m. our time, 9 p.m. East Coast time, they both closed their polls. I was incorrect. It's 5 p.m. It's an hour earlier, our time at 8 o'clock, their time in Florida and also the beautiful state of Pennsylvania. They're both beautiful states. I've spent time in both of those states. They're swing states. They can go either way. The polling is mostly within the margin of error in these states. Not all the polls are, and both candidates have reason to believe that they're picking up some momentum in some areas there. But the president really kind of in the real world does need to win both of those states to pull it off tomorrow. So at five o'clock our time, you'll be hearing the answer. And I mean, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, those polls will close. They will not, of course, immediately call or project. We don't do that anymore after the year 2000. Yeah. But if it, as you said earlier, Jennifer, Pencil- Pennsylvania, good, may, Pennsylvania may be even okay. later, I think. Um, for But if it doesn't look good, if they come on and say, well, this is a close one or there's, you know. That's Florida. Bi- yeah, for sure. If they say it doesn't look good in Florida, there's no path. And and the only thing I would amend, I, I totally agree with you that the easiest path for Trump's victory is through Florida with Pennsylvania coming in for the president. That is the easiest path for victory. And it would mirror his 2016 path, essentially. It would. would. But what I would tell you is that there's not even a way that he goes anywhere. There are a few ways if, you know, again, it's 2020, certain states flip in different directions. You could start counting in Minnesota and Michigan and some of those other states if he's able to to flip a few in his favor. There is a way he could maybe eke out a victory without Pennsylvania. It's highly unlikely. But there, there might be something. But if he can't get Florida, it's lights out and it's lights out early. So Florida is really that key for him to continue moving that march towards victory. That will be what people are really looking at, I think, first up on election night is what's happening in the state of Florida. And I believe, and again, I could be all wrong, but I believe because of, and this is the Trump campaign setting up pretty effectively sort of a referendum, as much as Biden has tried to set up a referendum on COVID for President Trump, I believe that the referendum on Biden is all about socialism. And there are a lot of people from Cuba in Florida, and I believe that they are going to be Trump voters tomorrow night. And we'll Well, see. Cuban Cuban South Florida voters are very patriotic, often very conservative with their political perspectives, uh, certainly in South Florida. I spent a lot of time, and I never lived there, but I used to work uh, for – 
broadcaster there, and I uh-huh. would spend a lot of time. South Florida, a lot of the uh, Cuban-American families that you meet there have very – we mentioned this about uh, Latino, Latinx, Hispanic. I always am afraid I'll use the wrong word. Communities here at home in Southern California whose values are very on politics, sometimes socially conservative. Yeah. And, and, and uh, some folks don't know that. President Trump was out, I guess it was yesterday, and he's giving the base what they want. Mm -hmm. He's giving them the stories they want. He's giving them the old throwback bits, the shtick from from four years ago. And he did did one. An oldie but a goodie. Is it an oldie but a goodie? Yeah. If you remember from 2016, President Trump used to do something called the snake. And is it a dance, the he, snake? No, he has not done it in 2020, but he did it in North Carolina yesterday to appease voters. This is how he's kind of differentiating some of these rallies, right? When he goes off script, that's when they get a little different based on where he is. Here's a They pr- get a comedy sketch show. And this was great. President Trump yesterday with a throwback to the 2016 campaign. So I was asked on this very windy night, speaking of that, to do a thing that we used to do during the campaign. I'll do it. Has anyone heard it? The snake. Have you heard it? Should I do it? So this has to do with this subject. And it's been a long time since I've done this one, but so many people are asking, are you ready? The snake on her way to work one morning down the path along the lake, a tender-hearted woman saw a poor, half-frozen snake. His pretty colored skin had been all frosted with the dew. Poor thing, she cried, I'll take you in and I'll take care of you. Take me in, O tender woman. Take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, O tender woman, sighed that vicious snake. She wrapped him up, all cozy, in a comforter of silk, and she laid him by the fire, said, with some honey and some milk. She hurried home from work that night. As soon as she arrived, she found that pretty snake she'd taken in had been revived. Take me in, O tender woman. Take me in, for heaven's sake. Take me in, O tender woman, sighed that vicious snake. She clutched him to her bosom. You're so beautiful, she cried. But I hadn't brought you in by now, you know you would have died. She stroked his pretty skin again and kissed and held him tight. But instead of saying thank you, the snake gave her a vicious bite. Take me in, O tender woman, take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, O tender woman, sighed that vicious snake. I saved you, cried the woman, and you've bitten me, but why? You knew your bite was poisonous, and now I'm going to die. Shut up, silly woman, said the reptile with a grin. You knew damn well I was a snake before you took me in. (laughs) All right, the president with an oldie, but a goodie. (laughs) Let me say, a dramatic recitation, a fine job by President Trump. And when you do recitation, you have mastery of the subject, and he has it there. He's got it. He's been bitten by a few snakes in the last three years. Are you concerned about the volatility of your investments? Because as an investor with traditional investments, including IRAs, I'm concerned about the stock market and how printing so much money out of thin air will affect the value of the dollar. I heard my friend Seb Gorka talk about Midas Gold Group, and I know owning precious metals 
add safety and stability to savings and investment portfolios. So I finally spoke to Midas Gold Group for myself, and what a wonderful experience. There are no pushy salesmen. Their knowledgeable professionals know everyone's needs are different, and they treat each person accordingly. I encourage you to meet with Midas Gold Group for yourself. Call to schedule an appointment and ask for their free IRA guide on how to use your IRA to own physical gold and do it tax-free. Call 805-601-6000, 805-601-6000. I get gold from Midas Gold Group, and I believe you should too. Call 805-601-6000. The candidates hit the road today for their closing arguments. We'll tell you what to expect as your Monday Morning Answer continues. Morning. Breaking news and talk you can trust. This is The Answer with Brian Whitman and Jennifer Horan. Thanks for joining us on your Monday Morning Answer. Brian Whitman, Jennifer Horn. Is my tie straight? I have to break it. You look fantastic. What is going on over well, there? Well, we have breaking news. I have to straighten my shirt. Oh, well, if you, right. I mean, big breaking news. Are you really getting into the, wait no, a second. I'm, Are they bringing in the anchor desk for you? Well, the ch- it has been wheeled in here. I'm just uh-huh. waiting. I have my IFB in the go. The Answer. Breaking news. Thank you, Jennifer Horn, uh, broadcasting live from the Morning Answer Election 2020 News Center. I'm Brian David Whitman. With these guidelines, this is true, for the in-person voting that so many millions of Americans and Californians, so great, are doing tomorrow, in-person voting. Guidelines from the Centers for Disease Control. Oh, boy. As you go out to vote. Now, it's a very serious issue because some people said, hey, I'm safe here at home. I don't want to go I went. I felt totally safe. I know. And I felt like Superman, he actually said. Actually, okay. wait a second. Just yeah. to set the mood. Can we set the mood before we break into we your – We certainly can. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, hold, let me talk to what Mr. Cro- – is that acceptable? Or... That's acceptable for you during We're the We're going to set the mood, the COVID mood here, because President Trump spoke about his bout with COVID-19 and the treatments, the therapeutics that he used at a campaign rally in North Carolina yesterday. The president will be in North Carolina again in about – I think maybe at the top of the hour you'll hear from the president. Take a listen here from yesterday, North Carolina President Trump on his – is a battle against COVID. Now, I like to say that the medicine I took, Regeneron, I'd like to say that it had no impact on me because I'm a perfect physical specimen and I'm very young. But I decided to take it anyway, right? <laughs> That's funny. It's self-deprecating humor. <clears throat> back to the breaking yes, news. go back to you in the studio. Center for Disease Control out of Washington, a federal agency, says if you're voting outside of home and tomorrow you're going to the polling place, wash your hands before entering and after leaving the polling location. But wait, there's more. While in the polling location, use alcohol-based hand sanitizer containing at least, here comes the number, at least alcohol. Use it frequently, especially after touching surfaces frequently touched by multiple people, such as door handles or the voting machines themselves. Believe me, this election may make us want to all drink 60% alcohol. (laughs) The CDC advises voters tomorrow in this greatest democracy in in, in, in human history, cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue or the inside of your elbow. Throw used tissues in lined trash cans. Oh, Wash Lord. your hands or use an alcohol-based hand sanitizer, Jennifer, containing at least how much percent alcohol? 60%. Wear a mask. Children under two and anyone who has trouble breathing, is incapacitated, or otherwise unable to remove the mask without assistance should not wear a mask. Hmm. Mixed mask message. Maintain at least six feet, about two arms lengths of distance from 
polling workers or, heaven forbid, other voters. This is a very important guideline from the CDC. It's all real. It's on their website now, but we do that research so you can just enjoy the broadcast. Yeah, very good. Is that do it? not. Oh. I'm shouting. Excuse me. I know. Relax. I have to use my inside. Relax, Dan. Use your inside. My mother called me Motormouth. Motormouth, use your inside voice. I said, who are you talking to? And she said, yeah, you. Do not disinfect or wipe down the voting equipment yourself. Because if you're Jennifer Horn, circa April, with the Formula 409, like uh, a Lucy sketch, run around here, you know, spraying yeah, everything. Yeah, cleaning. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are the one who could go in there and really take it upon yourself to scrub down that voting machine. The CDC says, do not do that, please. Electronic voting equipment can be damaged. And then you have, see, they went to clean it. They, they put Lysol in the machine. I, uh. It, the machine itself, the mechanism, is important, can be damaged by cleaners and disinfectants. If you use hand sanitizer before touching the voting equipment, ensure your hands are completely dry to avoid damaging the equipment. Wash your hands or use alcohol-based hand sanitizer after using the voting equipment. Oh, and by the way, in addition to all of that stuff you've got to consume and understand, know your worldview, your national view, and what each of the candidates' positions are on those issues, along with all of the other candidates on your ballot, as well as the very important propositions and what they may mean to the future of California and your personal finances. From the Election News Center, I'm Brian Whitman. Back to Jennifer in the real world. Thank you, Brian. I have to tell you, it was totally safe when I went to early vote yesterday. They hand you a squirt of sanitizer before you walk in. Then you go up, you sign in, then they wipe down the device as soon as you're done. And then you go and vote, and then they wipe down the device as soon as you're done again. So it's pretty easy. It's pretty safe. I feel like, and you found they did all of it. Uh, you just had to go. Oh do yeah, your... they did all of it. There and there are a lot of poll workers who are just watching and making sure that uh, as soon as you leave, they come by and they just wipe everything down with disinfectant wipes. So I have to say, it's very so weird. One year, years ago, in the valley, I went voting. Some more like conservative area. I was leaving, and you talk about the cleaning. I noticed the poll worker. This was nineteen nine. This is the nineteen ninety eight. Mm-hmm. He took my ballot. He put it in the biohazmat box. I saw him do it on the way out. Well, that's like, just your ballot because it stinks. <laughs> it was before any pandemic or anything. That's, I know. It's just because you vote Democrat. Oh, that's, right. that's bad, though, right? <laughs> it's oh. bad. All right. Today, let's review where the candidates will go. This is their last day of campaigning. President Trump is right now. We said five minutes. Will he beat expectations once again? He is Faster actually than the speed of light. Speaking in front of Air Force One right now, he's in Fayetteville, North Carolina. After Fayetteville, he'll go to Scranton, Pennsylvania, then to Traverse City, Michigan, home of the... Traverse City, Michigan residents. Cherry Festival. It's delicious. Kenosha, Wisconsin. I was there once. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Grand Rapids, Michigan is where he will wrap everything up. That's where he wrapped everything up in 2016. Joe Biden will be out on the campaign trail. He will be in two states today. He'll be in Ohio and he'll be in Pennsylvania. And then he will be home this afternoon. But they'll tell him he visited 17 states and he'll say, I'm sure glad we did that. He might think so, Corn Pop. President Trump making the argument that he is the candidate for everyone, that he can lead the great American come back. I'm delivering the great American comeback. That's what we're doing. We built we built the greatest economy in the history of the world. Best unemployment numbers, best everything. We had 160 million people employed. We were never even close to that number. And then one day we saved 2 million lives. We had to close it up. How about that decision? We had to yeah. No, how horrible. To have to make it. We understood the disease. We learned the disease. We have to protect our seniors, especially if they have problems with the heart or diabetes. We opened it up. 
And now we're at a level. I used to talk about the V. This is a super V. This is the biggest number, 33.1, and the news doesn't want to talk about it because it's positive. They only want to talk about negative when it comes to us. But 33.1, the biggest number in our country's history by, like, double, but it's more, much more than double. And you'd have to go back to 1952 to get anywhere close. This is Pre- it, Whitman. Can you feel it? The former President Biden says no, he, he was inept, the word the vi- former vice president used about the president's handling of COVID-19. On the economy, Joe Biden says we can't build it back to what it was until we deal with COVID first. We'll talk more about these issues. Of course, uh, people vote tomorrow. Get updates throughout the day. And if you haven't, go out there and vote. Thanks for spending your morning with us. Make it a great Monday. It's nine o'clock.